and welcome to Live Out Loud, the new podcast from Axis Web, which brings together artists and practitioners from the UK and beyond to discuss some of the most pressing issues facing the field just now. My name is Lucy Wright, and this week we're talking about social art in a time of social distancing. So how artists with a social practice are responding to the current imperative to stay home and save lives, in marked contrast to the highly embedded and embodied ways they might ordinarily work with people and communities. This is a subject close to my heart as a social practitioner myself, making work with, for and about the same community of performers in the northwest of England for more than eight years. And I'll be joined by three artists also working socially, Rupi Dillon, Sophie Bounds and Natasha Alexander. Obviously there are no rights and wrongs of how artists opt to continue their practice, or perhaps to take a break, at this unprecedented time. And this podcast showcases three really different, but equally valid perspectives and approaches. From Rupi's efforts to transfer her participatory work from a lived to a virtual space, through Sophie's reflections on the importance of resisting the pressure to be hyper-productive during a global pandemic, and finally, to the social art underpinnings of the Social Distance Art Project, a student-led initiative to offer an alternative to the traditional art school degree show, which is unavailable to this year's cohort of art students. I hope that however you're feeling right now about your practice, whether you're super inspired, in temporary hibernation, or maybe looking for your next idea, there'll be something of interest or recognition in this podcast. So to give you a sense of the context, this show is a patchwork of two different conversations, firstly between myself and Rupi, and then between myself, Sophie and Nat. Both conversations were recorded at my kitchen table via Google Hangouts, so the sound quality is sort of variable, but it's hopefully not too disruptive. I began by asking all three artists to introduce themselves. I'm Ropi Dillon. Um, I live and work in Birmingham as an artist, but also as a gallery assistant for Icon Gallery. My practice was mainly participatory work that sought to bring audiences together with um, artists to create discourse around um, sort of social topics like identity, race, gender and class. So um, a lot of my previous performances included participatory acts with audiences. One of my works was called Jarwali and it comprised of an Indian tea bike and the act of sharing fresh cups of Indian tea with the public. Uh, Another work was um, Bidu, which sought to bring audiences together across the world to play um, a game that I played in my childhood in India. And I also um, worked with another artist called Fred Hubble on this one. And we invited people to submit stories of childhood games that they played, but to keep them in their original languages. And then once the uh, stories were in, we made a publication and we set up a kind of a gallery install, if you like, um, of the game. And people who came to the gallery were able to play. Um, and reminisce about stories um, from their own childhood, playing the game, seeing similarities, seeing similarities across generations, and just having that kind of discourse through uh, the form of play. Ultimately, it was uh, understanding through shared experiences. So naturally, participation was a huge element of my work. Is there a specific community that you work with, or is it more broadly participatory, depending on the kind of context of the project? 
So, yeah, like you said, it's dependent on the concept or the idea behind the piece. I recently did something with a small gallery in Birmingham called Recent Activity, in which I taught people how to make Punjabi flatbreads. And it was through cooking and teaching and discourse that we were all able to talk about our own relationships to food, our relationships with uh, family recipes, things that our parents have taught us. And uh, chiefly among those themes was um, feminism. So we were talking about women's relationship with food throughout time. And of course, the intersectional element of that in terms of culture and how behind certain communities are with feminism. So that was an interesting workshop. Um, I'd say each time they always include a really diverse variety of participants. Um, I normally do open calls online or around institutions for people to come and be part of these events or part of these uh, interventions, if you like. And it's about creating a performance together. So my name's Natasha um, and I'm actually speaking on behalf of a group of students behind the Social Distance Art Project. Um, we all have a range of practices um, from painting to sculpture to mark making um, a great range just um, undergrad students studying fine art so I'm interested in performance art um, and kind of the process of mark making we have other people on our team uh, Julia does figurative oil paintings and video work and just a whole range of things really as undergrad students we've kind of got the freedom to use any material we want to Hello, hi, my name's Sophie Bounds. I'm an artist and curator. And straddling these two positions, my practice, I'd say, kind of primarily sees my adoption of the role of a host or like um, an instigator or collaborator and seeking methodologies of social exchange. Football actually has really recently become one of the main tools I've used to explore ways of working together as a grassroots football player and a fan myself. I work predominantly with two other curators, Alice Ongro and Lucy Cowling, inviting numerous other collaborators. And um, we spent the best part of two years forming a research group under the moniker Against the Run of Play, which hosts a programme of discursive events, potluck roundtables, workshops, a monthly-ish female football reading group slash online library of resources, all around gender representation and football culture. And I guess, therefore, my work never really kind of occupies one authoritative voice but a multiplicity of voices. Grand and you were recently one of Access Web's uh, award winners I think is that correct? Yeah so um, I think thinking about the things that I currently am unable to do right now um, I've been doing a lot of thinking about the kind of plans that I had for that and what I wanted to do or hopefully will, will do again at some point is undertake an FA qualification in football coaching, which is um, a bit on the back burner at the moment, let's say, but a kind of something I was hoping to use as a tool to research and develop ways of working together and coaching as a kind of methodology. So how is social distancing impacting on our three artists' practice? Are there any things, for example, they're no longer able to do? I haven't got access to the same kinds of materials that I used to in terms of workshops um, where like I built certain elements of it or perhaps you know cooking you need um, an open kitchen for that kind of thing so I didn't I don't have that anymore I don't 
have a studio for photographing or planning my work or even showcasing um, some of the documentation from after the um, participatory performances. And participation itself relies on audience and place, and I haven't got either of them. So I guess I'm trying to work out ways to become virtual and interact with audiences online through social media platforms, etc. But it, it's, it's a tricky one because all of the face-to-face interaction I had was very kind of meaningful or genuine or there was a real connection being made. And I recently read this eFlex article by Paul Chan and it's called The Unthinkable Community. And he writes about how uh, communication doesn't always equal connection. And that's something I've started to notice in this period. And I have to agree with him because we use uh, like social media and I know FaceTime and video calls, but it really lacks intimacy. At the start of this isolation period, I got really, I don't know, fed up of reading messages or emails or having to constantly be online and on screens. And I made a pact with my friends and we said that if we were to send text messages from now on, they were going to all be voice recorded notes. (laughs) Just to feel that sense of connection through voice where there's like a, a bit more emotion and a bit more tone. And what I also realised in this is that text messages really don't have an end or beginning. So even with the voice notes or even with a short message, like instant messaging is just, it's kind of cliche, but you know, you get that instant reply and that instant gratification and they don't really have an end or beginning. You can talk for weeks or days at a time through messaging. And, you know, there's never been that need to get everything you would need to say like for example those letters that they'd sent during the war or those airmail letters they were using after there was like a strict limit on how much you could fit on the page and how much you could get through and now there's no limits and no bounds and we're kind of in this pandemic with ultimately so much software and you know all these virtual platforms to have all these conversations and it's like how much can you physically talk about without that connection being there? I mean, as a practice which primarily focuses on bringing people together uh, in a physical physical manifestation, do the play, disrupt, problematize, or like plan, uh, social distancing largely rules out quite a lot of the ways that I'm used to working. Uh, something else that we often do that kind of forms the crux of a lot of the events that we run is sharing food, something which we kind of use it round tables or the discursive event, events that we've hosted because it kind of provides this sort of social glue or I don't know, it has this kind of magical ability to break down barriers of conversation or like unease. And it's really hard to imagine sharing a dish with somebody that doesn't live within the four walls of your household right now. And then other things that we were kind of working towards, we were supposed to be running a workshop in Berlin. It was about this idea of protest and reimagining protests and strategies for demanding equality within arts and sports and a kind of wider governing giants. And again, I think it's just so crazy to think about the act of gathering bodies in a space for protests right now. It seems kind of unimaginable. Um, and I think finally, the other thing that we were working on was an event series around the Euros, which would have taken place in July, which have now been pushed back to next year. And again, this everything kind of hinges on this idea of bringing people together or spaces where people already find themselves together. 
and I think football obviously is a mechanism for those things and yeah they're almost semi-terrifying right now so as a student I really depend on the facilities that I had to use at my university and obviously due to social distancing um, the entire university is now closed um, which means that our studios are closed which means that a lot of students have found their practice virtually at a standstill because we just don't have the access to any of the facilities or workshops that we are used to and being able to use and it kind of renders a lot of disciplines entirely like impossible and a lot of students are having to adapt their practices completely through uh, different materials different processes different ways of working and it's also meant that um, degree shows are now cancelled and degree shows are something that as creative students we spend our entire degrees working towards and um, it's like a pivotal moment before we finish the degree um, and go out and start our careers it offers all sorts of opportunities in terms of networking but also just the experience of being able to organize a show before you do this uh, go on to do this independent of the institution yeah I mean that's that sounds incredibly disruptive how, how is everyone feeling about that how are you feeling about that well, when we initially heard uh, the studios were closing, obviously everyone is completely disappointed. We were basically given 48 hours to clear everything from our studios that we might need because obviously no one knows how long this will go on for. Um, and it took a while for official confirmation that the degree show was over, but it was kind of assumed from the start. And I know from a lot of my course mates, there were a lot of tears. A lot of people feel as if they've worked for three, four years for nothing, really. Like this is the most important part of an undergrad degree um, as far as a lot of us are concerned um, and it's kind of been ripped away from us um, and obviously now there are the offers of like virtual degree shows and things like that but you know there are a reason why people go to galleries to see work and a lot of us have work that just does not translate well photographically digitally yeah everyone's really heartbroken to be honest. I then asked whether there were any ways in which social distancing offers new possibilities for Rupi, Sophie and Nat's work. There's been some art spaces in the Birmingham area that have closed down and beyond, obviously, with lack of access to materials like we spoke about earlier. And I just think that creativity doesn't stop. So whilst all of these things and these limitations and challenges and restrictions are kind of taking over at the moment, we've always got creativity. And so I started to think about what, and I don't know, how I could innovate the idea of participation. And I've had three ongoing projects actually. Um, so I'll talk a bit about participation in isolation, um, which was like, it kind of embraces the idea of participating through online mediums. So I invited participants to use their government sanctioned one walk or form of exercise a day to do a performance. You can follow the hashtag on Instagram and you can still join in now if you like. <laughs> I'd uh, encourage it. The responses have been like really interesting. Some people understood the brief completely as a form of conceptual art. And other people were using it as an opportunity to get creative again, um, just to build something into that daily routine and to try and incorporate some form of creativity into their day. It's been really wonderful to watch and to see it grow and see all of the ways in which people participate or uh, respond to this idea of doing a performance uh, as a walk. 
So that's been quite interesting. Another project I did is around um, embracing the concept of isolation. So I haven't released this online yet. But I was thinking about what it means for art spaces to exist outside traditional gallery settings. And I've had to think about how I might show work without the possibility of a gallery being there, without the four walls or without the people, and how I could do that without it not being on a virtual platform too. I'm living at my partner's house at the moment, so I can't really take over any of the spare rooms or bedrooms or anything to set up an art space. So I've taken to the land to do so and embracing sort of 70s land art, if you like. I'm using my one performance or walk a day to visit local uh, parks around uh, where I'm living to do performances. I mean, luckily, I've always been drawn to more sort of remote or desolate spaces anyway so at a time like this I can really relish in the fact that no one will be watching and all those sort of private performances I've wanted to do I can finally do them without wondering what people might think so it's an interesting time to make really private pieces of work more isolated uh, pieces of work but equally Um, seeing how it can be nomadic and it can be transported anywhere and at any time. I think I'm going to be really excited to reveal how it's kind of grown once the lockdown's over. And then other than that, I've been looking (laughs) in the garden for pieces of wood and bits and bobs that I can find to build uh, a sculpture so that once all this is over, I can be like, hey, I made a thing. Yeah. Yeah, so we set up the social distance art project in direct response to the circumstances, really. The idea was to create a platform where final year students could share the work that would have been exhibited in degree shows. Um, Just a place to promote themselves and their practice, but also to put together a community of young creatives um, from different institutions to kind of share their experience of what's going on and how it's affecting their practice and our hope is that people will carry on after this um, to promote each other and have that solidarity of the year group of graduates that completely missed out on opportunities whether that's the degree shows or graduation. And what's the response been to that? How, How is it going so far? The response has been a lot bigger than we ever anticipated, to be honest. Um, As it stands, we have around 4,000 followers on our Instagram gallery. We've also made a website to deal with submissions. We're estimating that at the moment, we've had about 250 submissions from students on a whole range of creative courses, from fine arts, photography, fashion, graphic design. It's, It's been amazing. And the kind of interaction within the comment sections on our Instagram has been just amazing to see so many students kind of interacting with each other and collaborating with each other at times too. So Sophie, how about for you? Have there been any new possibilities in your work? I haven't really developed a social distancing project as it were. And I think when you initially invited me to partake, Lucy, I felt a bit like a fraud. And I think this guilt is really symptomatic of the climate that we're currently in. And I've been doing a lot of thinking about rest and recuperation versus kind of hyperproductivity during this period, which I think is also kind of quite interesting in terms of the research that I do already, thinking that about that from a very bodily perspective or kind of a sports perspective and thinking about maybe sites of injury or illness that affect one's ability to perform or to 
undertake their usual labours. And I think there's some really great things that are happening at the moment, Nat and Rupi's projects included. And I think also moving forward, the art world should and is learning around accessibility and responsibility. Maybe we can come to that uh, later. But I also think that maybe it needs to be acknowledged that um, it's okay to want to prioritise caring for yourself and those around you. And if you want to binge watch Disney Plus and not have the work ethic of Shakespeare and that Twitter seems to seemingly be saturated by tweets about the fact that King Lear was written during Will's quarantine location amidst the plague, I think all of that is okay. And also thinking about care in the curatorial and being that the etymological root of curating is grounded in care. I've been thinking a lot about friendship, support and sharing, extending one's care to those near and far using social media to point towards those artists or practitioners who are working on incredible things right now and highlighting their voices. And I think sharing resources and recommendations against the run of play has always hosted a library of digital reading group texts um, in a kind of open access Google Drive, um, somewhat pirated. And I think if you're in a position to share your resources, then I think that's the kind of antithesis of these capitalist ideologies which I think is what's fueling the guilt I'm feeling about not being my most productive self right now. So how might those with a social practice respond to the current crisis? What, if anything, are our key responsibilities? In terms of um, how we might respond, I guess it's about going on to those um, social media platforms, those virtual media uh, using websites. Um, I mean, one really interesting thing that's happened with me is that I've been able to go to seminars and talks in London <laughs> and one in Iceland, which I wouldn't have been able to go to before without the money or the time. Um, so that's certainly an amazing thing uh, to have, you know, opened up. And I'd say uh, in terms of key responsibilities, it's about coming out of this and knowing at the end of it, what might be possible. You know, I, I think many just other like sort of disabled, disabled people or people who, um, you know, are neurodiverse, they've already had to deal with the concept of not being able to go to certain places, uh, for example, going to art galleries, seeing work physically, not a lot of galleries are made for these people. And interestingly, they're not able to perhaps participate with other artists or they've not had the possibility um, to do that. So I'd say the key responsibility is for our organisations to look at how they've adapted to this pandemic by making jobs available at home, uh, all these viewing activities, etc., that are available online. It's about knowing that this can be done in the future to support those in and out of the arts, whether that's an audience, artist, or people who work within the sector, to know that there are possibilities for them which don't rely on them leaving the house or putting them at risk or just something that opens up accessibility. I think that's the key responsibility coming out of this. Yeah, I've been thinking about this a lot and um, bouncing off what I was saying previously, we run a kind of semi-monthly female football reading group and from the start it began as a place of dialogue or discussion, things that I dare ground my social practice in. So the reading group became this tool that we could use to kind of critically engage with the text that we were looking at but also have the conversations with the, the players and the, the fans that are the community 
within which we're situated and use it as a, an opportunity to kind of get an understanding as to what they wanted from from the kind of events that we subsequently went on to program and the workshops that we subsequently led and I think this idea of collective voices or coming together for conversation to critique the inequalities that are going on for us within the sporting world but beyond and maintaining those conversations and listening to what your community wants or needs I think is incredibly important. Foregrounding those questions is definitely I think a responsibility and I think yeah we're currently in a position which prevents us from leaving the house for things other than basic necessities and the doors to exhibitions and events are currently closed and for some people these are realities that they face beyond COVID-19 so like I say I think these definitely need to be things that are learned from beyond the, this context but I also think this idea of responsibility is particularly interesting and maybe even somewhat problematic because I think consistently structural inequalities are presented as responsibilities of the individual and there's a much cited quote I was kind of keep coming back to of Audre Lorde's uh, and it's from the epilogue of her burst of light and it goes um, caring for myself is not self-indulgence it's it is self-preservation and that is an act of political warfare and the sentiment feels so pertinent right now in foregrounding self-care in one's own mental or physical health and thinking about kind of the precariousness that artists and arts workers are kind of among kind of depressingly far larger list of labourers and I think also refusing unpaid or poorly paid work right now is a perfect response if you're in a position to be doing so and speaking up about these things I think could be a responsibility of ours as well as a way to actually get institutions to listen I mean yeah I, I don't necessarily want to just repeat what Sophie said um, but I do feel like in a lot of ways we do have a responsibility and we've seen that through the submissions that we've got a, a lot of people are addressing issues that have been magnified by the crisis um, and a lot of inequalities um, to do with race as well um, have been really important matters that have been addressed in a lot of work being made by the people submitting to us and yeah also thinking about accessibility and those that are practicing from a socially distant point of view before and after we are able to go outside again for more than just the necessities. It is really important to consider. And also there's been a lot of emphasis put on the arts at the moment as a way of getting through what we're all experiencing. And I think one of the things that's key to think about is the education system and how the arts is often overlooked a lot of programs now for, for parents homeschooling their children really overlook the importance of arts education in favour of other subjects and I think it's important to think after this that art is something that's brought us together during this crisis um, and why should it be that after this we again um, have it overshadowed by other subjects. I then asked whether the three artists had any advice for others, for example how to keep connected both to their own practices and to the communities in which they work. Yeah, I'd say embrace uh, digital media. <laughs> See what items you've got um, at your disposal, at home, uh, when you go for a walk, on your bookshelves maybe that have been picking up dust. Just really using or setting yourself maybe an hour a day to think creatively about how you might engage with others. I think something really interesting that could come out of this could be 
that we you know are able to perform with people across borders you know right now we're using the technology to perform with people um but it's opening up those like boundaries if you like um so we're able to surpass certain borders and perform with people all over the world potentially i'd say use those tools embrace them keep in touch uh (laughs) with voices not what not just words (laughs) see what's happening go to the talks and the online seminars that you wouldn't have been able to go to before that um or you wouldn't have had the money to go to learn new skills but equally keep in touch and uh keep in touch with yourself as well and make sure you know your own boundaries in terms of self-care and um how we're looking after ourselves and keeping that routine there is a lot of pressure on artists to be their best creative selves at the moment and this just isn't something that is necessarily possible for all of us so I think for starters, the comparison between those that are being the best productive selves at the moment is not one that is helpful to think about at the moment. I'd also say that social media, for all it has its flaws, is a vital tool at the moment um, when used correctly. Um, I mean, I can't count how many times I've seen the artists supporting artists GIF on my Instagram feed at the moment. But that support from other artists is something that is really beneficial in keeping yourself creative. I know with our platform, we've shared all sorts of makeshift studios that our followers have created, whether that be in their student bedrooms or their parents' garages. Um, There's definitely a lot of solidarity that can be found on the internet um, through other artists, but also through organisations that are kind of, I mean, the Royal Academy, uh, their Twitter account is a personal favourite of mine because whoever runs that social media has a very good sense of humour. But organisations are kind of posting things to fuel people's creative side. Um, So yeah, I do think the internet is is really important. Um, For all we can compare and say that the virtual is not the same as the reality. And as I say, projects like ours are, arising because there is no better alternative at the current moment but these resources are really beneficial to any creative person yeah absolutely Sophie that question to you I think again is ask questions if you're in a position to be keeping in touch with a community that your practice situates itself within ask what that community wants or needs right now and actually listen to the answer social media as you point out now is a really good tool for this Things like Keep It Complex's Solidarity Syndicate is one really good example of sharing and solidarity, which involved gathering people that were going to kind of band together and write collective Arts Council grant applications, even if not everyone in that group was able to be eligible for such a thing, but then they'd kind of divvy the finances up afterwards. And I think that's a really great way of building a community of artists who can, in solidarity, help those who might be struggling or are being failed by structural inequality right now. And I think other digital tools which we have at our disposal, like I say, against runner plays using Google Drive to provide open access collated reading materials and things like Zoom and Skype, which are being used um, to host virtual reading groups, are a great way to bring people together that are geographically apart. Tools which are actually being developed to aid corporate kind of capitalist ideologies and remote working. But in subverting these, we can use them for social good, care provision and to host bootleg resources. And finally, we discussed what social artists need from arts organisations to better support their practice. 
perhaps kind of setting up initiatives or calls uh, for these social artists to really come about. There's always been, through art history, waves of kind of popular art, if you like. And I think there's certainly a time for this now, more than ever. And I guess uh, it's about supporting those artists, whether that be through uh, bursaries or open calls or um, feedback um, or helping to establish those links. So where you might see one social artist and what they're working on and you see another one somewhere because you've got access to a wider pool, perhaps maybe thinking about how to bring those people together in the community. And then I'd just say one more thing to anyone else who is um, working at the moment, just to kind of go on as many arts websites such as Access Web. Uh, so thank you for your help today. Um, <laughs> and maybe like all the other arts organisations that are offering bursaries and um, support, because at a time like this, they just kind of want to do anything to help us. And now more than ever, we need their help. So I guess it's about embracing that. I think organisations that are offering things like hardship funds are really vital at the moment um, because there are a lot of people that do not know what kind of financial situation they're going to be in the end of it. And also just promotion, promotion, I think, beyond the usual radar. You know, ironically, I think at the moment, a lot of creatives are putting themselves out there more than they usually would, you know. So I do think it's really important that those who might have been overlooked previously uh, given the same kind of platforms. Thanks. Um, Sophie, you already mentioned something on this, but but you want to reiterate anything? Money is a kind of absolute fundamental and it's so easy to for arts organisations to overlook the wages that they're reimbursing their arts practitioners for, particularly in the kind of educational or socially engaged spheres, that if if you're leading a workshop or doing something kind of somewhat paracuratorial that actually you don't need to be paid in, in quite the same way, which is ridiculous. So I think, yeah, undoubtedly money is something that arts organisations really need to help support their artists with better. And a greater transparency here too. It's been really great to talk to you. Um, is there anything that we haven't covered in this conversation that you'd like to say if, or any last thoughts that you'd like to kind of leave the audience with on this kind of topic of what it is to practice art or to choose not to practice art even at this time of social distancing? I just think it's important to do what you can do um, and I think what Sophie said is really important um, at the moment you know keep being your creative selves but you know don't force yourself to produce a whole stream of work when in reality the circumstances are not they are definitely not a recipe for great levels of production. Grand. And Sophie? I think moving forward, I really hope that the generosity which we're seeing right now from artists and organisations prevails once we get back to normality, as it were, that we can keep sharing resources and consider that the platforms which we've established to connect with one another might continue to mean that we can collaborate or have conversations nationally or globally. Yeah, I think that's the main thing I hope we take away from this. And also listening listening to those around you, listening to your own body, understanding what you can and can't take on right now. I think those are all really important things. So that's about it for this week's episode of Live Out Loud. A huge thanks to Rupi Dillon, Sophie Bounds and Natasha Alexander 
for sharing their thoughts and experiences of social practice in a time of social distancing. To find out more about Rupi and Sophie's work, you can check out their profiles on our website. And if you're a third year student who'd like to contribute to the Social Distance Art Project, full details of how to do so are available on their website, www.thesocialdistanceartproject.co.uk. Many thanks for joining us. I hope we'll see you again next week for an episode on how artists can practice care, including self-care and care for others during COVID-19 and beyond. I have some amazing guests lined up and you can join the conversation online at any time, including posing questions to our interviewees using the hashtag LiveOutloud on any of Axis Web's social media sites. We really love hearing from you. Stay safe and take care out there. <laughs>